What's cracking, pimps? What's going on? And welcome to episode 36 of the Mac Daddy Seminar. As always, I am your host, Taylor Dunn. And first off, I just want to kick things off today by saying I appreciate the support that you guys are giving this podcast. So many people are starting to subscribe and like the page and, you know, all of that stuff. And I really appreciate it. And that's what helps this thing grow. That's what made things like this happen, made the lights a little bit better. Pretty soon I'll stop looking like a fucking telemarketer and I'll actually get a real microphone, maybe a better chair. But, you know, you got to spend money to make money is what I'm trying to say. That doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, (laughs) if you hear children running around and screaming, I'm not running a sweatshop over here, all right? I I swear. (laughs) Uh, There's just kids running around the neighborhood and playing. But yeah, Uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in, listening every week. It really means a lot. With that being said, Today we have another segment of the Quarantine High School Reunion. As most of you know, I talked to somebody that I haven't spoken to in years that I went to high school with just because we're stuck in the house and I'm doing small little interviews and we're talking about things that we've done since going to high school. My guest today is Maggie Zink. Maggie and me, we went to Wetumpka High School together. We, you know... Knew each other all throughout school. I think I remember her all the way back from the fourth grade. And, you know, she's now going to school in Birmingham. She may be trying to be a doctor. Right now she works in the medical field, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to interview somebody who is really working on the front lines of this pandemic. So without any further ado, uh, Maggie, if you're there, um, first I like to start things off just by asking, you know, we went to high school together. What happened after that? Okay. So, well, I left all of it. Well, Wetumpka, moved to Birmingham, uh, started school at UAB. And then pretty much like my freshman year, I was kind of on the same little streak that I was doing in high school just kind of doing whatever and partying a lot not really caring getting used to being out of my parents house and stuff and then uh that was fun for a while (laughs) and then uh I kind of just had like a wake-up call I guess like my GPA was really like flunking out like I wasn't failing anything but I like I had pretty much straight C's I guess my first year like my GPA is like a two point three or 2.4 or something. And, uh, I was still pre-nursing and, um, my advisor like set up an appointment and they were like, Hey, like if you get another C, like you're, there's no way you're getting into UAB's nursing school. Like it's really competitive. So have you thought about other career paths and stuff? So, uh, I was like, well, shit. <laughs> and that was kind of like a wake up call. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta like get my shit together. 
And then uh, around that same time too, is like when I met Mikey and uh, you know, when we first got together, I met him through uh, his fraternity and uh, I don't know, he was like pre-med and I was like, oh, he's so smart. Like I can't be stupid. And uh, so I just, I had my advisor and then I was trying to impress Mikey and then uh, just kind of got my shit together, honestly. And then I never got another C and uh, actually started carrying. I stopped hanging out and associating with people that were like not helping me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I met new people, got new friend groups and just kind of started to wake up a little bit and realize what was important to me and like my goals and things. Yeah. And then, me, um, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's, that's pretty much like the basics of it. So, I, I mean, I pretty much did the same thing. Like we graduated and all I was thinking about was I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be a comedian. And I didn't know anything about it. And when I started going to open mics, which is like maybe a month after we graduated, I did a lot better than I should have starting out. So whenever, like right around that time, I talked to a couple of schools my senior year, but the one that showed me the most interest was Huntington. And they gave me a grant because our senior year, my GPA jumped from like a 2.1 to like a 3.7 because I was That's taking, awesome. I was taking yeah, I'm only on episode like four. Don't ADHD medication yeah. like heavily. So I, I was able to, <laughs> I was able to grow my GPA cause I just, I loved being at school. Like our senior year, I had so much fun just coming to school because you know, I was doing things that made boring stuff fun and I'm just going to, let you use your imagination, but, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, I just, uh, so when I went to school, when I started going to Huntington, my whole idea, like literally my plan was, Oh, I'm just going to do this to get my parents off of my back until I make it as a comedian, which yeah. that just seemed like There's such a good idea room, at the time. And I was just dead set on that. And then a bunch of stuff happened. I ended up, I got arrested at one point, like a week after school started, I got arrested. And if that wasn't enough of a wake up call, I continued kind of doing the same stuff for about a year after that to the point to where I just wasn't going to class. I was just trying to party and hang out with people, but I didn't care anything about my grades. And then eventually I was just like, okay, I'm not even doing comedy anymore. I've got to do something different. So it was about a two year time span after we graduated where I was just kind of stuck in limbo, but I knew I was like, okay, I do not want to stay here. And that's when I went and I talked to a recruiter to join the Navy. Proud of you. I pre I'm proud of you. We always, anytime we see pictures or anything that you've posted, I'll learn, I'll turn and tell Zane. I'm like, I'm so proud of her because, and don't take this the wrong way and stop me if what I'm saying seems offensive. In no, I won't. Form. But 
I feel like you and I can kind of agree that a lot of people kind of looked at us like we weren't going to amount to much just because of some of our habits and some of the things that we were known for in high school. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I was in damn alternative school. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember, I remember. Like, terrible. And if, and if you don't want to talk about anything, just stop me. But I remember I didn't see you around a whole lot our senior year. I remember hanging out. I remember you all the way back from like the fourth grade. So like, yeah, because I was in alternative school for 90 school days our senior year, which was like from, I don't know, like October until I got out in April. Okay. And like when you're in ECAP, like you can't go to any school functions. Like you can't do anything like school related, like, or you get more time added. Yeah. So like everything that I was doing, like in school was just like completely halted. And I mean like that just like really had me messed up. Cause I mean, I have lots of personal sh shit going on in high school and stuff on top of all that. And then getting arrested and then, dealing with being an alternative school, you know, people's parents didn't want their kids hanging out with me because I was bad influence and everything. So, I mean, like all that made me feel like an even bigger piece of shit. So I was like, well, I'm not going to get into college. Like I'm not going to do anything. So like I started drinking a lot and then, uh, hanging out with probably not the best people <laughs> either my senior year. Like I wasn't even really hanging out with people in our class because nobody's parents wanted me to hang out with their kids. Like, cause I was in alternative school, which I get, but at the same time, it was like the whole situation was just ridiculous. I mean, it was literally just, I don't know. It wasn't cool. And then, I don't know. It just had me really messed up and in a weird headspace. So then even when I got into college, like I wasn't serious about it because I didn't feel like I even was, I don't know. I didn't think I was really going to do much in college. Like I knew I wanted to go to nursing school, but like I kind of just, I had already, I went into it in the headspace of feeling like I had already failed, you know? Yeah. I know what you mean. Like my first semester at Huntington was awesome. I had a blast because the only classes I was taking was Huntington is a Christian school. And I took, I think it was religion 101 and I blew that shit out of the water because I was raised as a Jehovah's witness. So from a very young age, they just pound religion into you. Like I'm not a Jehovah's witness anymore. I'm not trying to convert you or anything like that. Don't worry about it. But they like at a very early age, like you're expected to know this about the Bible and all these different books of the Bible and stuff like that. So when I get to a religion class in college, I'm just, I don't even have to study for the test because I'm like, Oh yeah, that happened right here. And you know, I'm acing that class. I think I finished that class. I think I had like a 98 in the class overall. And then I took an English English 101, I think it was, which was so easy because it was just like a creative writing course. They were like, yeah, we just want you to write something and then we'll see how it goes. So, I mean, I, 
I liked writing, so that was easy. And it was after the first semester, everything was going good. And when the second semester started, that's when they hit me with the real juice because like I started taking biology and it was harder than anything I'd ever done up until that point. My major was communications, which the first semester was literally like, yeah, we're going to talk about how the hunger games makes us feel. And then the next, the next semester, it was like, okay, we're going to have a serious debate on gun control. And no matter how you personally feel about it, you're going to be on the alternative. So you have to give points like you're going against yourself. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't understand it. And all I cared about was going to do stand up, like going to do stand up and smoking weed is the only thing I cared about. Like there were days where I would literally come to class to, you know, purchase things from people (laughs) and then just go home. And I think about it now you know, I'm 26 and I look back, I'm like, how did I not go to jail more than I did at that age? Right. Like I just sit and I think about it sometimes and I'm just like, how did I not end up in a worse position than I did? And a lot of it was just, I just got to a point to where I was working like two jobs where I dropped out of school and I was working at the radio station in Montgomery. I got that through an internship and I was working at a pizza restaurant seven days a week, like 70, 75 hours a week between the like two in jobs. the kitchen or up front. I was in the kitchen. Oh, it, nice. was, so it was mellow mushroom pizza. in Prattville. Sweet. Yeah. And I worked in a pizza restaurant too. Which one? Uh, it's called Mafiosas. It was like a, or like a family-owned business in Mountain Brook. Okay. And I worked there for the entire time I worked in college. Like I started my first day there. The second day I moved to Birmingham. And my last day there was like, I had started working as a nurse and quit working there like maybe five months later. So I worked there for like a little over six years. Yeah. I Some good I, money in Mountain Brook. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially the front of the house too. Oh yeah. I never worked as a waiter anywhere. I always worked in the back, but, uh, I worked at coach's corner my junior and senior year of high school. And that was like my first little brush with everything. But I lived in Millbrook. Like I wasn't even supposed to finish school at Wetumpka because I wasn't in the same school district. We moved right before my senior year and my parents were like, well, you're going to have to go to Prattville. And I was like, I'm not going to another school my senior year. Like I have to finish here. So they let me and I worked in Wetumpka. So I was pretty much always in Wetumpka. And then I would just drive home at night. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like I lived way out. I lived almost, you know where Bass Pro Shop is? Yes. Okay, so I lived like right down the road from Bass Pro Shop. So every single morning, I would drive my beat up ass 95 Ford Explorer all the way to Wetumpka. And then I would just go straight to 
coach's corner right afterwards and I would work until 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then I'd hang out in the parking lot with all the, you know, waitresses and stuff, you know, doing God knows what with them. And then I'd come home at like midnight and then I'd do it all over again the next day. And that was all good. But then I ended up leaving coach's corner like early 2013, I want to say. It was like January of 2013, and I started working at Mellow Mushroom. And then around that same time is when I got the internship at the radio station, which turned into a job. Heck yeah. And then the whole time, I mean, it was all just, you know, oh, this is just going to help me be a better comedian. Like working at the radio station, I could promote myself, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And it just ended up just, like it was a good experience. It taught me something. It taught me a trade. I literally, it was something I had to work my way up in. Like as a 19 year old, I went from just being like a program guy on a AM sports station to being, you know, the afternoon personality on the pop station at 19 years old. So that's awesome. yeah, I'm thinking about doing an episode with uh, my boss at the time. He's the his name was Rex Long, and he was the voice of like Y one hundred and two for years, and uh, so that that was one cool part of it. And I used it to my advantage. Like whenever uh, I was single, like I loved being able to bring girls up in there and like show them the radio station and stuff, and they would think it was <laughs> so cool. And I'd be like, "Yeah, you got you got to look around. This is awesome." And then you know, but but yeah, man. Um, I just know that I know I go off on a tangent about stuff. I'm sorry, but I know that a lot of people, it was almost like there was like a subgroup of people that everybody was like, they're not going to do much. They're, they hang out with the wrong crowd. They, you know, do this or do that. And, Oh, I'm going to this school and I've never done anything bad. And right. It's like, okay, but so what do you have me, to show for it now, you know? Honestly, like, that was how I, like, made my decision, too, to go to UAB. Because I got accepted to UAA, too. Oh, and I really? was like, yeah, I was like, well, I probably don't need to go to <laughs> Alabama because I'll probably ruin my life, to be completely honest. And, like, I had a bunch of friends that were going there already that I knew, I mean... I'm not talking bad about anybody, but I mean, cause we were all doing the same shit. Like it wasn't just me, you know, nobody was making me do anything. It was just, I needed freshness, I guess. So I didn't really know anybody going to UAB other than like Reed and like he left after like the second semester. So, so I made all my own friends and I think that was a big part of me going to UAB was just kind of like getting a fresh start and kind of just away from everybody from Wetumpka yeah yeah everybody once everybody started kind of dispersing like people like from our class once like they everybody started spreading out going to school or starting to work like you know Zaina was in the grade below me and I knew a lot of people from you know the junior class when we were seniors so I stuck around and hung out with a lot of them and then it was just kind of became I was like oh no I'm that dude that's hanging out with the junior classmen, like, what am I doing? I'm that, I'm that nasty old guy who's hanging around 
people that are younger than me, what am I doing? Even though I was only 19 years old, but still like, I didn't want to be that creep. Like, didn't he graduate last year? Like, I didn't want to be that guy. So that was kind of the thing that got me. Like, I just, I was like, I've got to get out of here. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I tried to join the Air Force for like three, four months before joining the Navy. But the Air Force wouldn't take me because I had a misdemeanor on my record. So I spent like three, four months just spinning the wheels, just you know, writing these acceptance letters about what I did wrong and how I won't ever do it again and all this stuff. And they were just beating around the bush. So I went and I talked to the Navy and they were like, oh, we can get you in this week. Like it was not, not an issue whatsoever. And originally I wanted to go. Crazy. Yeah. I wanted to go in to be, uh, do something like the medical field. I wanted to be a corpsman, but they talked me out of it because the advancement rate for corpsman is so terribly low that they, uh, it's it's just such an overmanned rate that they can barely promote anybody. So they talked me into being a logistics specialist and I'm, I want, I wouldn't say that I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, I like the, the extra things that being in the military entails, like it's given me the opportunity to leave the country. Like I've gotten to go to Spain. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to go to Guam twice. You know, I've been to Hawaii through the military. And our first duty station, we lived in Gulfport. So we were only like three and a half, four hours away from Alabama the entire time, which was really nice being a young couple with a small child. Like she was born like right after my first deployment and just being that close to home really helped out. So here we're here now, we just got here in uh, September and we love it out here. It is so nice. <laughs> like I believe it. I'm trying to get out of Alabama like ASAP. It's not as hard as people make it out to be. Like No, it's not. I mean, the only reason I'm sticking around for now is I'm trying to finish up my master's degree. So I graduate in August and then uh I don't know. I was contemplating like working at UAB, like if I can get a job there and kind of just like get my like grounds for a couple of years at UAB and then go. Cause then it would look good on my resume to have like some experience at UAB as an MP before I dip out. Um, but UAB pays for my school. So, so like I, know. they pay a hundred percent of tuition. So I'm trying to stick around at least for that. Oh yeah. I don't blame you at all. No, if I was set up like you, like I was going to school for something that you really can't use. Like what can you use a communications degree for? Cause that was my major. I was like, well, I like talking to people. So I'll just go to school for communications. And it's like, you, I don't know what you can even use that degree for what you do. You have to have a degree to do. You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like, I feel like it's so, it's pushed on people so much. Like, oh, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. Well, depending on what you want to do, you may not need a degree to do that. Now, if you want to be in the medical field, absolutely. 
If you want to be a lawyer, absolutely. But I yeah, I totally agree. I don't know. I feel like some people, like I joining the military, I was able to learn a trade. You know, like doing logistics yeah. is, you know, I never in a million years thought I would be able to, you know, audit money and things like that. And now or any type of business management skills. And now, you know, I know how to do that stuff. And it's on a different scale. It's with, you know, the military, but still, you know, it's, it was able to teach me a trade. So, and all in all, I'm still, you know, pursuing a dream like you, you want to like, what's your end goal? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I love being a nurse and being a nurse practitioner will be awesome. I don't know. Like I might get my doctorate and then I don't know, like open a practice, but the only thing with like that, like that's so complicated to like open up your own practice. I would need like so many people on hand there's a lot more liability. So like, I'm not sold on that. I like what I'm doing now. Like I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent like what my, future goal is I could see like doing nursing for a couple more years and then doing you know being a practitioner for several years maybe until I'm like 50 maybe I'd like to teach college like nursing pharmacology or something I'd enjoy that but I'm happy in like the field that I'm at and like there's so many different ways that it, my career could go with nursing like there's a lot of options stop it Sorry, my cats are fighting. I was about to say, uh, is that a cat or a baby? <laughs> cats. But I don't know. Like, there's, I don't know why they're being like this. They're hissing at each other. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't know for, for sure what the end goal is. Just doing what I'm doing right now is great. Like, I love working in the emergency department. It's like fast paced. There's a lot going on. And, oh my God. <laughs> It's all good. Uh, and I don't know. It's like lots of adrenaline to be shared in the ER, which I mean, I'm about that. And like just the fast pace and the being in the middle of the drama. I just love it. And like yeah. helping people is awesome. Now you, you can stop me if we're not supposed to talk about it or anything, but are you, how is like what you do? How is that affected by what's going on with the whole pandemic that's happening right now so i mean there's a national shortage of ppe everywhere i'd say that like i don't know it's like gotta be careful it's not much has changed yet where the censuses have been down in hospitals everywhere. So like people are seeing less patients because people aren't going to the ER for like their chronic toe pain. Right. You know, so like when I started, there would be like, I would come into work, there'd be like 50 people in the waiting room and now in like no beds anywhere. And now it's like, we have beds, there's nobody in the waiting room, but I feel like people have been sicker. Like the people that do come in, they're sick. So you've actually like visibly seen people with COVID-19. Like, you know what it looks like when somebody has it. Yeah. And it's scary, I'm sure. It's no joke. Like, 
I don't know. It gets on my nerves and people are saying like, oh, it's just the flu and people are dying more from the flu. I'm like, well, more people are getting the flu and like, we don't know. There's not enough information about COVID yet to like really, for people to be back in all their damn conspiracy theories and saying that it's all a plot against the president and the economy. Yeah. All kinds. This is Scraggle. She's being evil. Uh, but <laughs> there's just not enough like I don't know. Not enough is known, but I will say, like, it's scary, like, especially for people who have underlying conditions or asthma or COPD, heart failure, that kind of stuff. Because uh, they say that there's, like, two types of, like, COVID patients, essentially. Like, you'll have the patients that are in, like, respiratory distress. They walk in and, I mean, they they look awful. Like, they clearly can't breathe and they're really short of breath and, like, they need a ventilator, like, immediately. And then you have, like, the COVID patients who, these are, like, the two types of sick ones, I would say. You have the ones that actually walk in and just looking at them, they don't look that bad. But then, like, you get their vital signs and their oxygen levels will be, like, 80 and you're like, I don't know. It's really weird. Like I haven't, I can't like think of anything really that I've seen before that's like this because I don't know exactly what's causing them to be like hypoxic, which is basically just saying like they have low oxygen in their blood, but they're not like ventilate. They're not exchanging their oxygen correctly. And so they'll come in 80% and then they just tank like, like you'll be talking to them and they're fine. And then like 10 minutes later, they're like need a ventilator. Right. It just happens really quickly. So like most people are fine, I would say, and we can discharge them or whatever. But like when people look, when people are going down or like not doing well with COVID, I'd say they go down really quickly. Yeah. There's not a lot of like room for, I don't know, like they need immediate care. Yeah, And if they're not close to a hospital, see, that's the issue with Alabama is like, I mean, even in Wetumpka, like how far away is the yeah. nearest hospital, you know, in some parts of Wetumpka, yeah. they might not make it to the hospital. And that's why it's such an issue and like why Alabama's death rates are projected to be so high because most people probably aren't going to make it to the hospital in time. Yeah, and a lot of people, down, they're probably going to go down pretty quick. Like I was one of the people that was skeptical about it when the reports were just coming like from China, like it really hadn't hit the mainland yet. But Zaina was watching the news and she was like, this is about to be bad. And I was like, no, it's not. You're, she worries about a lot of stuff already as it is. And I was like, it's just the news is scaring you. Like anytime there's some nuclear crisis or, you know, somebody's threatening to bomb us or something, she's the first person freaking out saying that the sky is falling. So I was like, it's not going to be that bad. Like you just need to calm down. And then it was like overnight. Cause I went to the comedy store in La Jolla on March 11th for a show. And I went home that night. Everything was good. I woke up the next day and it was like, Hey, we're shutting everything down. Everything is shutting down. And I was like, wait, what, what, what? The, the one in LA shut down. And that's when it, for me, it was like, Oh, Okay. This is getting serious because the governor was like, you can't have more than 250 people in a room. So a couple of comedy clubs were staying open, 
And I was like, oh, okay, well, most of the places I do don't have that many seats in them to begin with. So, you know, okay, right. a couple of places I won't be able to go do anymore. That's okay. But then they were like, no more than 100, no more than 50, no more than 10, all in the same day. So over here, the governor of California, it went from, hey, everything's fine to everything is closed in 24 hours. Like, yeah, non-essential businesses, That's especially like says. ones that host That's events it. that have a lot of people, That's just instantly That's cut off. Shots. So, and like, I don't know, it was, it was really nerve wracking in the beginning, like just walking around in the streets. Cause like San Diego is yeah. a very populated city exactly. and like we live in yeah. a smaller sub category portion of San Diego. We live on Coronado, which is this little bitty peninsula mm -hmm. island. No, not. Like you take a bridge yeah. from the city yeah, over to the, the island and all of that. And it's, it wasn't that bad. Like, of course you Either see way, everybody I wearing like masks and stuff, but for the most part, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was still real nerve wracking. Like I, constantly was washing my hands and then you know they changed up our work schedule at work and then it just continuously it's gotten to where now you have to wait in line just to go into walmart uh, i killed my teammate but i did get things. yeah so like i'll be completely honest too like i blew it off at first even like being a medical professional you know it's like eh, it's whatever it's just another respiratory illness like whatever because yeah. mikey was like hey like what should i do like should i go shopping and like get ready to get quarantined just in case they decide to quarantine us too or something and i was like no like it's fine just get some toilet paper or something it'll be all right like because people are going to snag that up first and i was right they did because <laughs> there's no toilet paper anywhere and uh so he was like fine i won't and blah blah and then, like, two weeks later, I was like, oh, yeah, actually, like, we need to, like, probably stock up some food and get ready for this because it's going to be pretty serious. And my whole thing with it, and this is not, a, like, not saying conspiracy theories and shit, but I don't feel like China really gave us a good picture of what was going on. And, yep. like, it wasn't really real to me until, like, Italy and, like, until it started really happening in Italy and New York. And then I was like, oh shit, like this is like about to be really bad. And then uh, once like they were like, oh shit, well now we don't have any PPE and like we can't protect our frontliners. And then I was like, oh God, <laughs> this is yeah. really bad. And that's, that's when so it really crazy. started to hit me. Like the fact that it just ran out for medical personnel so fast, like that yeah. they were telling people like you need to use your face mask yeah. over again or you need to continue using your gloves over again and stuff like that. Now all of this stuff obviously is stuff that I've just heard from the news or, you know, seen on Facebook. So I don't know right. everything that's happened in the medical field, but I mean like New York yeah. is horrible right now. What is, I think the last thing that I saw was like a hundred thousand people have diagnosed with it in new york so what's going on in new york is really bad like i did read that they were actually like starting to discharge more people recently but i don't know 
there's a lot more people in New York and I can see that whole side of the argument. Like more people are obviously going to be infected in New York because there's a lot more people living in New York. But at the same time, like living conditions. Yeah. Like people are like, Oh, nobody's really getting affected by this in Alabama. Let's just open up the economy. What's the worst that could happen? I'm like, y'all don't realize that nobody's getting like, this is because we're doing what we're doing that there's not like a big outrage of cases. But I'm like, that's fine. Like y'all just, y'all go out and do your thing, but you know, go tell your grandma and your mom (laughs) or whoever that you love them because most people in Alabama, even, you know, like you have like the whole like Bible belt, everybody is obese. So like pretty much everybody's got high blood pressure and diabetes and like heart failure and other stuff. So that's like three people, like illnesses right there, even just the obesity alone. Like if you get COVID, you're probably screwed. Yeah. I mean, so there's like 60% of the state is not going to be able to handle it very well or will probably might not die might not need a ventilator but they will probably need like oxygen at least like some kind of like some kind of medical treatment you know yeah i'm looking at what the current numbers are right now for alabama yeah supposedly like when the uh they were putting up the health projections. It's been a couple of weeks since I've, not a couple of weeks, but probably about a week that I was reading the projections. And April 20th was supposed to be the peak uh, in Alabama. And we were supposed to be peaking like 500 plus deaths per day. Mm. But with the social distancing and quarantining everything, I think, I mean, the curve's starting to flatten for now. And I think now we're down to like 200 and well projected like two to three hundred deaths per day but i don't know i don't know if that's going to stay down like that if they decide to open everything back up i think it's going to have a second surge and go crazy yeah right now uh they have a confirmed four thousand seven hundred cases so it does look like it started to slow down a little bit because for a while it was like every day it was like a new 250 cases yeah so like just for reference so california has 28,000 cases but you got to think about how many people live in california right like san francisco la sacramento san diego Like those are some of the biggest cities here. And I mean, they have, I think, I think LA alone has like 15 to 20 million people that live in LA. It's so crowded. (laughs) Yeah. And like, that's only two hours from here. So I think uh, San Diego, I think it has like 1.5 million but we were one of the first states to shut down. And I was like, watch, if they're leaving this up to the governors to figure this out, Alabama and these like little smaller states, it's going to take them forever to start shutting things down. And that's sure enough, yeah. that's what happened. So if you look at like the scale of how many people live there, it's a lot worse in Alabama than it is in California. 
not so much New York because New York is pretty much ground zero for the United States right now. It's really bad in New York, but it's like a big New York though too. is like, it's a big travel out of there from the States that were carrying it originally. So that's like, what's really getting New York. Yeah. I, I heard somewhere though, that the, like the origination of it in New York came from Europe. But I don't know I if that's a that. trusted source or not. I think I was actually listening to another podcast and they said that. So, but yeah, I don't know, I mean, man. What do you My whole think? thing is just like, I, I'm worried about the, I don't know. I think you if you look at places like New York, New York and California and like the resources that they have, is like so much more than what Alabama can offer. Oh yeah. So like (laughs) if we had the number of cases that New York has now, like everyone be screwed. Yeah. And that's another thing that I don't think a lot of people are understanding is that Alabama isn't really a state with a booming economy. Like, right. You know, just as well, like you live in, I would say one of the nicer parts of Alabama. Like I, I've always told Zaina, like if you do force me to move back to Alabama, which I have no intentions of doing, I would like to live in Birmingham because there's just so much more to do there. It's a city, you know, there's a lot of people and it's, you know, you have so many different things you can do in Birmingham. Yeah. I love Birmingham. But when you have like little small towns like Selma, or even with Tomka, like Dang. since they built that casino in downtown, what they pop up with a new business like every couple of months and then it shuts down. And it's always something that I don't know. It's just like, it's cool when it first starts up and then it just, okay, now we actually have to start producing a revenue. We have to, you know, stay on the books and everything. And then it just shuts down and then something else moves into its spot. And I feel like a lot of places in Alabama are like that. Like we drove through Selma on the way to get out here and we stopped for gas. And I hadn't been there in probably 20 years because my grandmother used to live there. And I was just like, mm. oh my God, this is really bad. <laughs> it was just, so, and that's, that's, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, the longer it's going on and they're doing social distancing and nothing is allowed to open, that's just crippling the economy. Yeah. Well, see, I'm like torn because I know that it's helping like flatten the curve and everything, but I feel like it's too late almost to really like, it's going to get around. Other countries are, yeah, other countries already opening, like, certain parts of the U.S. are going to open, everybody's still going to be traveling, like, it's going to spread no matter what we do, I feel like. I feel what we're doing is helping, but it's not feasible for us to do it forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. I, I can't, I personally cannot wait till everything opens back up and it gets back to normal, but, you know, obviously, I want to feel safe when I take, you know, my wife and my daughter out to do stuff. Like my daughter has not been in a store since any of this started. 
So, like, what do you think realistically is, like, the timeline for when the United States is not back to normal but open again? Probably June. I was about to say, I, I think about the same thing. I hope it would be sooner, but you kind of got to wait. So, I was thinking May. I was thinking May originally, but seeing how stuff is still now – I think June. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping for early June, but I think it it might be late June. Yeah. But I don't know. And I mean for California, I think they're going to be the last ones. You think? To open back up, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They may right the the governor here really does give you like a sense of like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. know, like it's just something about the way he, you know, presents himself and the way that they've talked about it this whole time. It seems very organized and they're not in the middle of a press conference blurting out like, you know, books of the Bible and like in Deuteronomy six thirteen, it says like, when I saw the governor of Alabama do that, I was like, what the fuck is this woman doing? like we're supposed to be having a press conference on public health and she's like if y'all better stay inside they're not gonna have football this season right it's not a joke like at all and i mean that's a real possibility like the the idea that we're going to have college football this season is almost slim to none because the springtime is when they do most of their practicing yeah. You know, like even Nick Saban said, I don't know how we're going to do a season if we can't do spring training because that's when all the fundamentals are taught. And we're talking about this not They're being doing over it virtually. June. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Zoom meetings. I just, I don't, yeah, they can go over playbooks and stuff like that, but I just don't see. And that's another problem. They were talking about it on ESPN. What do they do if, you know, let's say Clemson. Gets hacked. Well, not that if it gets hacked, but, like, let's say one part of the country, they're like, oh, we're good to go. We don't have any new cases. Everything's open back up. Everybody's going back to school. Well, let's say that happens in Clemson. That happens in – where's Clemson? Is that North Carolina or South Carolina? In that Florida. I don't – look, I'm not football. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll just say for the sake of the conversation, we'll say Florida. Okay. So let's say Florida's like, oh, we're good. We're everything's good. We're opening the school back up. We started training. So they start training, but Alabama's numbers are so high they can't open back up until two months after Florida did. Are they still going to be expected to play each other come October? Like, yeah, it's not really I fair. Don't know. Yeah, I, I just – I don't know how it would work because, I mean, it really gives them an unfair advantage. But – Yeah. And that's no, what everybody like, would say. I'm all for, like, stuff opening as long – but, like, eh, because, I mean, it's messing up a whole lot of shit for me, too. Like, I'm supposed to graduate in August, and to, like, sit for the boards, like, to take my test to certify me as a nurse practitioner, like – I have to have so many clinical hours and like if they don't let us go to clinical in next month then I'm not gonna have enough 
hours to like be able to take my exam. And then, which is going to push it into the fall where I'm trying to get married and go on honeymoon. And I'm not trying to do clinical while I'm trying to like get my Relax. wedding stuff. Yeah, through. absolutely. So now I'm just like over it. It's screwing up. I mean, people are like, oh, it's screwing my, I'm like, it's screwing everybody's life. Like, don't be so selfish, you know? Speaking <sighs> of, like, uh, we all want it to open, but also, you know, you got to like pay attention to what everyone's saying and, you know, be smart about it. Absolutely. Speaking of, uh, you know, your honeymoon and your wedding coming up, I don't think I congratulated you on your recent engagement. That's awesome. Thanks. When did, when yeah. did he propose again? Exactly. Back in April, like the end of April. But like I've been in school, so I was like, well, shit, we can't even get married until I'm done because I'm not trying to like do all this wedding planning in the middle of school. But now I'm like, well, shit, I might be in school still. Are you wanting are you <laughs> wanting a big wedding or like I don't mean to get too personal. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. But like, what are your plans as far as like, I mean, what you want? So we got a venue and like, I don't know, we're probably thinking like a hundred people. I guess that's pretty big. Have y'all thought about like honeymoon plans? Like where y'all want to go? Yeah. We were talking about Greece. Oh my God. And then, uh, we're maybe not a full two weeks, but doing maybe like a couple of days in Spain and then flying to Greece from Spain. Oh for like maybe 12 day honeymoon. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Y'all have got it planned right. I try, I try to tell everybody, I'm not like saying like I'm the marriage guru or anything. I'm not, but I being in the military, I'm around a lot of young guys who are like talking about getting married and stuff. And they're like, you think I should do it? And I'm like, I mean, you can, if you want to, but the main advice I can give you is do not spend an ungodly amount of money on the wedding because the yeah. wedding is so stressful that even the day of is like so outrageously stressful like me and Zaina were already married on paper like two three weeks before our actual <laughs> wedding day we just it's literally for the people that are coming to see you like you and him know you want to get married you'll probably get your legal documents signed either right before or a couple of days before the ceremony. So you're going to be legally married. You're just doing it in front of everybody and making an event out of it. And it's nice for pictures and things like that, but people will spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on their wedding. And I just feel like the whole thing was a blur because, and even Zaina will agree with you. Like, first of all, our photographer dropped out the day of the wedding. It was my cousin. Oh my God. Yeah. It was my cousin who I still have not spoken to to this day because I'm still so mad about her doing that. She just, she told my grandmother who told my mom that they were canceling the day of like we're oh putting our tuxes on and I'm like, Hey, is, is she here yet? And my mom walked in and she was like, Hey, I need you to sit down. Cause I got to tell you something. And she wouldn't tell my soon to be wife because she didn't want to upset her. Hey, we can still so oh I had my to, God. 
I had to scramble and get somebody to take our pictures. And luckily we got somebody to somebody there. Like they were like, I have my camera in my car. And I was like, will you please just take our pictures? Like we'll pay you for them. I just, we don't have a photographer and they ended up really good. And they ended up giving them to us for free because it was a family member, but still stuff like that's going to happen. It was everybody. We, our wedding was outside. We had it at Jasmine Hill gardens and mm-hmm. the forecast said rain all day. They said it was just going to pour <laughs> rain and we had an outside ceremony and Zaina was freaking out. Her whole family was freaking out. We're like, what are we going to do if it just, the, bottom falls out right in the middle of our ceremony and luckily it was like a perfect like opening of just beautiful sunshine right over where we were for our very short ceremony our ceremony was probably three or four minutes long it was very very short and a lot of that is because of the asshole preacher that we got to marry Yeah, her, I'm not going to say his name. I, I'm sure he doesn't watch podcasts or anything, but I'm sure somebody probably knows him or it's their grandfather or some shit. But I didn't know who the guy was, and I just kind of let Zaina's mama pick it out. He was a judge, and she was like, yeah, he's going to marry y'all. And then we're standing at the back of the little area where we're going to have the ceremony, and he's like, where is the marriage certificate? He kept asking me, where is the marriage certificate? And I'm like, dude, we already signed our marriage certificate. Like, that's done. All I need you to do is go up there and say the words. And, you know, you're just for show. We're not actually signing our marriage certificate today. And he was just like, well, then why am I even here? And I'm just, I'm so angry. Right before we're about to get married. And I'm like, because we're paying you. Like your food, sir, thank you. You know? That's ridiculous. And he messed up Zaina's name in the ceremony. He called her Zachara in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, but it ended up being a really nice wedding and we had a really good time, but it's just so, so discombobulating. Like you got to come over here and take pictures and, oh, you got to thank this person for coming and, oh, now you got to do the first dance and, oh, now you got to cut the cake and, you know, by the time it's over, you're just like, oh, thank God we can go home now. And then our honeymoon was fantastic. We loved our honeymoon. That's the... Where'd y'all go? We went to Disney World, believe it or not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Where, that's where she wanted to go. And, you know, I was about to leave for the Navy. So I was like, I mean, if that's what you want to do, I let it be up to her. And I pretty much paid for the... Uh, the honeymoon like i sold my car and everything before i joined the navy so i only had so much money to spend on the honeymoon and i was like we could go to disney for like four or five days just me and you and we could do all the parks and do park hopper stay at the resort and everything and we did and it was a blast it was so much fun yeah i love disney me and mikey went uh for a week after i graduated nursing school and we stayed, where do we stay at? At Disney? Caribbean. The Caribbean. Resort. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we always stay at like some of the, uh, I guess, the second rate resorts, if you want to call it that, because we didn't yeah. we didn't spend a lot of time in a room. 
Like we literally just were out walking every day and like Epcot. Then we go back to the magic kingdom. Then we go back to Epcot. Then we go to animal kingdom. Then we go back to Epcot. Like I loved Epcot. I stayed in Epcot. the entire Literally. Okay. So we literally got blackout drunk because it was uh, the international wine festival. At That's Epcot. when we were there. Oh shit. Okay. Did you drink around the world? I, we were too young to drink at the time. We were only uh, 20 when we got married, yeah. so we couldn't drink. That sucks. Because yeah. <laughs> we got shit housed. It was, it was great. Well, <laughs> when we went back, we went again uh, for Lily's third birthday. And we had a family member come with us, and they, like, were able to we, – we, obviously it was more for her because it was her birthday celebration, but we had them uh, watch her one night and me and Zaina went to Epcot and we got shit house drunk, which it was fun. But I mean, once you've drank in like Spain and all over the world and stuff, it kind of is, it's just not as much fun. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, and, Hey, oh. my, I I just got my dinner from this door dasher. Okay. Hey, it's all good. I'm glad I got to talk to you. Yeah, it was good catching up. It was good talking to you. Good. I miss you. Yeah, miss you too. Y'all take care of each other, okay? Definitely. Right, I'm proud of you. You keep Party. pushing. Keep pushing on that degree and everything, and I hope it all works out for you. I'm rooting for you guys. Oh, rooting for you too. All right, y'all have a good one. Okay. <laughs> y'all have a good All right. one. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you again so much, Maggie, for sitting down with me and talking. I understand our stuff got cut a little bit short, but that's okay. Look, I understand people got lives they got to live, so I 100% understand. Um, once again, it was really fun talking to you, and you know, I'm wishing the best for you and Mikey, just like I said in the video. I hope you guys get married and, you know, have a great time and y'all have babies and whatever. Anyway, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, let me know. Reach out to me. Hit me up in a DM, something. Let me know. Don't just assume that I'm going to reach out to you and be like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? Even though I've done that with some people, let me know if you are interested in doing it. I've got a couple of people lined up and, you know, we're still going to do it. It's all good. Um. Yeah, before the end of the episode today, there's one thing in particular that I just I just had to bring up because it's brought me so much grief over the past couple of days. Um, as most of you who listen to this podcast are from Alabama or the surrounding areas, most of you have probably seen something like this. This is known by many names. Some call it a blessing loom. Some call it a money circle or a gifting circle. Or what it really is, is a pyramid scheme, a Ponzi scheme. Everybody that is running these things is breaking the law. I have been going on a crusade through Facebook, trying to tell these people, like, hey, just so you know, 
what you're doing is illegal. It's illegal. Like, and all you have to do is go on Google and type in money circle, blessing loom, anything like that. And the very first things that will pop up, it will tell you it's a scam. Now, I'm not an expert or anything, but that's a fucking red flag. I don't have anything to gain from telling you, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not jealous that you made $800, $1,600, $2,000, whatever. I, honestly, I could give a fuck. I'm glad that you're on the come up. However, you're doing it by illegal means. You're scamming people. And some of the people that you're telling this don't care. You're showing them the evidence. You're like, here, here is someone who went to jail for doing this. And they're like, oh, it ain't going to happen to me. Well, believe it or not, just as easy as it is to look up what a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme is, it's also that easy to look up the number to the Alabama Better Business Bureau. Yet they accept phone calls from people who want to report online scams. I tried to tell y'all, man. I tried to tell y'all. It pops up every couple of months. Christmas time, right after tax season, or right after everybody gets a stimulus check. Because people know, hey, I have money to burn. It is so simple. The people that are setting these up are scamming people. They are breaking the law. Yeah, you might have made some money now, today, in the last 24 hours, but all it's going to take is your little blessing loom or gifting circle to not finish. And then somebody that put $100 in that loses that $100, they're going to be the people that call the number and report you. And when the IRS is knocking on your door or the FBI or the police and they're knocking on your door and they're going, hey, you're going to jail. Guess what? That's it. You're going to jail, babe. I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. So many people are trying to warn you. We just don't want to see you go to jail for being ignorant. And that's what you're being. But hey, you can't help everybody, man. I'm doing all I can. Letting you know like, hey, everything you're telling people is a scam. And people are still doing it because people do not... Don't research anything. It blows my fucking mind, man. I'm done talking about it, okay? But when you go to jail, I'm not going to feel sorry for you. So, all right, guys, that's it. That pretty much wraps this episode up. I know we covered a lot, but if you finished all the way to the end, I appreciate you sticking around and listening to the whole thing. It really means a lot to me that you guys are showing so much support right now. I understand everybody's in the house bored, and I'm just doing what I can trying to entertain people. So, I really appreciate you guys listening. If you like this, 
podcast, the Mac Daddy Seminar. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Go ahead and give it a like, leave a comment. All of that stuff grows this podcast exponentially, okay? Whether you're listening to it on iTunes, Spotify, watching the video podcast on YouTube, absolutely everything helps. Telling you guys, this thing is only going to get bigger, but you guys are the fuel to make this rocket go to the motherfucking moon. Okay? You get what I'm saying? As always, I appreciate you guys listening, and I will see you guys next week. Y'all take care.